understand how much you have forgiven us and how much you love us, it changes our love for you. And Lord, we have to ask ourselves this question. Would we do for you what you have done for us? Would we allow someone to spit on us because we're Christians and not be tired? Will we allow someone to beat us and not to think badly of them or want them killed or something bad happening to them? Would we be willing to carry a cross? Would we be willing to lay on a cross without any struggle and have someone drive nails to our hands and our feet? Would we be willing to die for you as you were willing to die for us? Lord, how do we measure that? How do we measure your love for us with our love for you? How do we respond back to you and all of your goodness unto us? How do we respond? Lord, would you give us the strength to respond, not from the flesh, but, oh God, by the motivation of the Holy Spirit prompting us to respond to you properly. And in a way, Lord, that truly glorifies you and honors you and lifts you up. Lord, there's so much you have to teach us. There's so much we have to learn. Would you minister to us? And Lord, open your word now to us. Help us to sit, not in the sanctuary of Akron Lions Fellowship, but help us somehow to sense and sit that we're sitting in the sanctuaries of the heavens and we're sitting at your feet. May you minister to us. May we sense your presence by the power of your Holy Spirit. May the Kashana glory somehow settle in this place. May some way we sense and know that you're here with us. Your promise to us, and we quote it often, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we live in a day, Lord, that we need to be assured, 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 assured of your presence. And that you are truly with us. Minister to that one that's hurting. Give strength to that one who is ailing. Renew that mind for that one who needs a renewed mind. Provide for that one who needs the provision. Give hope to that one who is hopeless right now. Lord, you're the one that has to work. It's not in the power of flesh and blood, but it is in the power of the God that nothing is too hard for him to do. And that in him, all things are possible. Work, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of our biggest issues in the church today is the lack of men in the church. And this is not pick on men's time. This is just truth. And men are the last individuals that really want to have to submit to somebody else. Everybody is to submit to man but man himself do not want to submit to the living God that has given him life. 
And without being in the Word of God, without being taught the Word of God, without understanding the Word of God, there's no way man can grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So those who are leaders in the home, those who are supposed to be leaders in the society, those who are supposed to be individuals with the answers have no answer because they will not submit themselves under the authority of God in order to learn how to give answers and to direct and to lead. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. When we lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom, then we have excluded God. And unless you train your mind, and this is men and women, children, everybody, until you train your mind to think biblically or to think righteously as God would have you to think righteously, you are only responding from the perspective of what you believe the world says is right or what you yourself think is right. You are not dealing with righteousness from a mind of Jesus Christ. You are not dealing with righteousness according to the word. Your assumption is that you're right in your righteousness you're being fair in your fairness. You're doing good in your goodness. And you may be missing the mark altogether. In that verse 2 and verse 5, and this is what the church is for. The church's job is to teach truth. To teach truth. Not what you think is true. Not what the government says is true. Not what the world says is true. But what God says is true. And that's hard to, as in Melvin's class today, to obey God and his command. It is not easy to obey God. That's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because everything in our fiber, everything in our body, goes against everything that God demands of us. We don't want to do that. And that's where the battle comes in. And that's why scripture tells us that we have to learn how to yield to the spirit. To yield to his leading. Because I can know it, but that doesn't mean I'll do it. And that's why James then says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but to do what? Be a doer of the word to practice it. See, a child can hear what mom and dad ask of them, but until they do it, they're not obeying it. They hear it, they know what the request is, they know what they're asked to do, they know what mom and dad's expecting of them, but if they refuse to do it in here, it will not become practice out here. And until I can internalize it in here and yield to it and accept it as God's will and God's way, then I begin to put it into practice out here. The church is not a pastor who is a dictator. And sometimes the pastor gets, you know, he's a dictator. The only reason a pastor is a dictator is because you let him be a dictator. The only reason a pastor is the boss is because the congregation lets him be a boss. Never forget, a pastor will be no better of a pastor than what you help form him to be. If you let him get away with breaking scripture, he'll be just like you. He'll break scripture. Why? He is just like you. He needs a savior just like you. He needs redemption just like you. 
He needs sanctification just like you. And understand this. He'll sin just like you. We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. Now, he says in that verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on men. Your faith don't rest on Pastor Brown. Your faith don't rest on what I say. I hope what you do when you hear and as you pen and as you mark or as you take note, you go check it out to see if it be so. Whenever you hear someone speak from the word of God, just don't accept it because what's before their name. You are responsible to search the scriptures to study them and see if it be so. And he says, your faith doesn't rest on men. And that's true, it doesn't. It rests upon Jesus Christ and him alone. And he says, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. Now understand, men's wisdom will use all types of trickery and deceptiveness to get you to do what they want you to do. And that should not be in the pulpit. Trickery and deceptiveness is of Satan of God. God will always deal with us with truth. And each one of us then have to make the decision. Is that true? And if it's true, do I want to accept it and follow it? God will not trick you into anything. Nor will God deceive you or lie to you. All God will do is speak truth to you, to each one of us. He doesn't use the wisdom of men. Why? Just a chapter over, he tells us the wisdom of this world is all foolishness unto him. So God doesn't use foolishness. He uses his word. Go back up into verse 4 a little bit. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, Paul said, I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm not trying to somehow impress you that you're just somehow caught up in some type of zeal of words and so forth. There's not a charismaticness about it. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. The gospel is the truth. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. If God's word is going to have any effect at all, it is not from the person it comes from the Spirit of God. If God's Word is going to have an effect in your life, it's because the Spirit of God is working in you and through you. It is the Spirit of God that's causing you to wrestle with it. It is the Spirit of God who is bringing it back to your mind. It is the Spirit of God who is making you have to face it and deal with it. It is the Spirit of God who continues to bring it before you. a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Understand this. God's power is always demonstrated through his word. When you choose to believe God's word and live it and follow through with it, then it becomes a comfort upon God who is responsible for his word to work his word out in you and that circumstances or those, situ or those situations. It's God's word that allows you to stand. 
not run from a situation, but to stand in a situation. And God then demonstrates his power in your stand. He demonstrates his power by how you respond. He demonstrates his power of keeping his promise and his word to you. When you stand on his word. But if you don't know his word, you can't stand on it. And that's a lot of men. We don't know God's word, so we stand on our own strength. We stand on this thing that, boy, I'm just going to make you do what I told you to do, woman. Some of y'all sound like y'all experienced some of that. <laughs> but, but the thing is this here. Man has to learn his power is in prayer and talking with God and following God's direction. That's it. He says he demonstrates his power through his spirit who is working in you and through you. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power. Here's the purpose of that. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. In other words, what God does to the preacher or to the deacon or to the Sunday school teacher or the elder, God takes that person out of the way and says, it's my word and the spirit. It's my word and the spirit. He moves that person totally out of the way in a sense. Because, see, your faith don't rest on the preacher on the Sunday school teacher, on the elder, or the deacon, or this person, or that. Your faith rests on Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. And we have to come to that place where we really recognize that. That is not by some persuasive speaking or charismatic speaking or because I can hoop this way or hoop that way or, or somehow I get you excited. No. See, God isn't worried about stirring up your body. He wants to stir up your mind. He wants to stir up the heart. It's not about a bunch of emotion. It's about the very fact of understanding God's will for your life and what God would have you to do and God would have you to live. And that's the part we have to, we have to grasp. How does God really want me to live? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and remember this book of Corinth that was written to the church of Corinth. And Paul is saying to the church in a sense, and at the church, they would read Paul's letter. Why? To the people of God. Why? That the people of God might be instructed in the things of God. I got from 11 to... Can, can, I'm still, yeah. Chapter 5, 11. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. Let's just stop there for a moment. A lot of us call ourselves brothers and sisters in the Lord. And a lot of people think they are in the Lord and they are a long way from the Lord. That's why in Matthew 7, the Lord talks about, yeah, you say with your mouth, Lord, Lord, but he says, I know you not. Now, there's a key word here, associate. How many of you spend too much time with people who care nothing about the Lord? How many of you spend too much time with people who care nothing about the Lord? What's that little saying? 
birds that flock together. Say it for me. Yeah, birds of a feather flock together. And what you have to understand, you're not part of that flock. And sometimes we don't realize that. So we'll stand right there and somebody's talking about MF this, be that, and, and, and she no good this way and talking about this and just doing all kind of profanity and MF this and this and that. They go all over the place and we just stand there and grin. Well, something's wrong with you. Because, say it again, just walk away. I don't have to stand there and tell that person, hey, you're being disrespectful, you're being rude. I don't have to try to correct somebody right there in public. But neither do I have to stand there and be entertained by that person with that type of entertainment. And he tells me now, if somebody calls themselves a brother and they're out of character, he says, don't associate with them. Now, understand this too now. That might be in your own family. That's what makes Christianity so hard. I have more fellowship sometimes with Roscoe and Roger and James and brothers of the church than I can have with my own brothers who are biologically brothers because we live differently. We live differently. I used to have people ask me, you're his brother? You're his brother? And you're a preacher and you're his brother? They couldn't put me in that family. There was 14 of us. And there's certain things I couldn't do. So when there was a birthday party sometime, I'd go early. Because I could show up Wish them happy birthday, but before the real party gets you going, <laughs> Elaine and I could go. But this is something you and I have to learn how to practice. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral. How many of you men hang around with too many other men who are unfaithful with their wives. See, if you're hanging around with a man that is unfaithful towards his wife and you call him a friend and you're not applying Galatians, if you see your brother in a fault, you go to him and you try to what? Correct him. Not getting so much involved into it that you yourself fall into that same entrapment. But that you are trying to correct. And one of the problems with men not being part of the church, we don't know how to correct. So when we see a friend or we see a brother or we see someone, a co-worker, who's having these problems, we don't have the answer for them. We just give them what we think the world would say or what we've heard somebody else say. We can't show them what Scripture says, how they should be living as a godly man. Now, that godly man is described for the one who has accepted Christ. Now, catch this. But it is also the standard for the one who has not accepted Christ. God didn't make two standards. He only made one. And then we give that one standard. Period. And we help that one person to understand you should love your wife as Christ loveth the church. You should love the woman of your youth, the wife that you accepted. You should love the woman that whom you believe God brought into your life. Now we can start ministering to the man. It's not about what the woman's doing. And oftentimes we get caught on that. It's not about what she's doing. Why? 
Corinthians 13 tells us this. Love conquers what? All things. No matter what she's doing, the question is, are you really loving her through it? And the same thing goes to the woman. Are you loving him through it? Because love conquers what? All things. If you don't have enough love, God says, if you lack wisdom and understanding, ask me, Lord, I need more love. Teach me to love him. Teach me to love her. But if you're hanging around with somebody who is unfaithful to their wife and to their family, it's going to rub off on you. And he says, don't associate. Now, that doesn't mean you're not talking with that person. So I don't want you to get the wrong meaning. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Let's go on down into this. He says, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slander or drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What Paul's saying, you're not spending a lot of time with this guy. He's not saying you're not spending time. You're not spending quality time, a lot of time. You're wasting your time. See, you want to be with people who really sharpen each other. You need to understand when you're with some people, they'll dull you. It's like taking a sharp knife and trying to cut a rock with when you need a sledgehammer. They'll dull that sharp blade. And he tells you, what business is it of mine to judge those outside in verse 12? To judge those outside the church. What business is that of mine? Now, he's not saying don't judge. Why? You need to judge the people you're around. You need to judge the people that you're going to spend quality time with or any length of time with. You need to judge the people who are help sharpening you or giving you advice or people that you're listening to. You need to judge their character and the quality of life that they're really living. You're not judging them with damnation. So we're not talking about that kind of thing because people, who are you to judge me? You judge everything because it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you. Go a little further in that verse with me. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not judge? Are you not to judge those inside? But will God in verse thirteen? God will judge those outside. I'm judging inside. And I'm judging also where? Outside. Now, when God tells me to judge inside, what is he reminding me of? See, Satan can come right in here and sit right next to you. Somebody loaded with demons can come right in here and sit right next to you. Somebody who can curse God sideways, upside down, and everything can come right in and sit right next to you. It can say a few words to you and can influence you up here unless you really know the word. But then you got to judge whether or not what is said in the character, is it really godly or not? Is it scriptural what's being said? You have to judge that if you're going to really associate with that person. And he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? If you didn't judge, you would never consider those outside the church as being lost. So God is not really saying, don't judge. You have no hell to put them in. You can't damn them. You can't send them to hell. You're not the final judge. Who is? God. 
but we judge the character, we judge the quality of the person, we judge the loyalty of the person. We're judging the mannerism of the person. See, I don't want to take no friend of mine at work home who is a womanizer and introduce him to my wife. So I need to judge what I'm taking home. And that whole process, we are to judge. Now, go over with me in First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. Let me get, let me get first. Verse 14. Now he uses the same word again that he used up in verse 11, that word associate. Associate. But listen to what he says because he's just a little bit different. And remember, this is Paul in both cases. But in verse 14 he says, If anyone does not obey our instructions, what instructions? The instructions of the word of God. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do what? Take special note of him. In other words, be careful. If he's not willing to obey God, be very careful. If you see his uh, allegiance is more towards the world than towards God, be careful. So he gives us that warning. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel what? Ashamed. Ashamed. Somebody might come up to you and say, I'd like to spend more time with you. Now, I'm just saying this. That may open up the door for you to say, man, I would love to spend more time with you. But see, all that MF and F this and and D this and that, my ears can't take that language. My mind can't handle that. I'm willing to spend more time with you if we can change the language some. man, I'm willing to spend more time with you. But understand this. I'm not somebody who you're going to persuade to chase after this woman and this woman and that one. I I don't want to talk about your adventures with different women. That's not what I want to talk about. Hey man, I'll spend more time with you, but I'm not going to sit in the bar with you (laughs) spending time with you. I'll be more comfortable at home. You want to go have a cup of coffee? We can do it. Understand that there's that opportunity where the door opens that you're able to explain why you're not spending more time or why you're not as close to him as he may like for you to be or the friendship that he may expect from you. And the same thing goes with ladies. Women, sometimes you guys share with a lady. I don't want to hear about all your fantasies. I don't want to hear about all your boyfriends. I don't want to hear about all that. That's not where I'm camped at. That's not where I'm living at. And some women got some foul mouths today. And you hang around them, those words going to slip at home. But when that door opens, you have the opportunity to explain why we're not spending more time together. And Paul says, don't associate with him. But he also gives us something else because we don't want to do this either. When you come on down into the following verse, he simply says to us in that verse 15, he says, do not regard him as an enemy because they're not enemies. Understand something. Some people have never been raised with manners. And in this day in which we're living, 
some people, all they've ever heard from the time they're two years old is F this, MF this. A little two-year-old couldn't even talk. But up at the daycare, two years old, trying to say MF. And Elaine and the other teacher was trying to say, what are they trying to say? They thought what they were trying to say. Not even two years old yet. Where did they learn that at? And that's what they're raised with. So they don't know how to communicate any other way. And they shorten their own vocabulary because that's all they know. And like I shared with one person, he said, the man didn't have to cuss me out. I said, but you stood there and just let him do it. Walk away. And understand, ignorance sometimes don't know any other way. But as long as you accept it, that's what will come across. You don't have to try to stop him, but you don't have to stand there and what? And be cussed out. You can remove your cursors. And they come after you. I'm willing to talk with you if you're willing to change your language. Sometimes you have to force people to communicate correctly to you today because there's a lot of people who have not been trained how to communicate, how to talk to other people. And today, profanity is very much accepted. There was a time on TV you could not use a word. They would beep it out even. But now everything comes across TV. And he said, don't count them as enemies. Why? They still need to be one to the rest. They're not an enemy. You have to understand the demonic influence that might be in their life. You have to understand how Satan might be using them. They're not the enemy. For our enemy is not in flesh and blood. But we need to understand Satan uses those individuals to do what? To cause us to stumble. And he says, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And he may not be a brother, but you warn him as a brother. Why? Because the scriptural standard is the same. It's not just for me because I'm a Christian and not for him or not for her because they're not a Christian. God's standard is what they will be judged by. Period. And they need to understand the rule and the regulation that comes from God. But you're the one that has the first approach. Don't really associate. Don't draw close to them. Don't spend a lot of quality time with them. Spend time with people who help you grow. Spend time with people that nurture you. Spend time with people who are seeking to understand you and want to see you do better. Spend time with people who can lift you up. That whole thing, when Melvin's in his lesson today, I wrote something down. And because uh, in 14, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. A lot of times Jehovah's Witness will use that, that the Father is greater. Understand something. If you know who you are, it will never hurt you to elevate another person. If you know who you are and what you are and what you value, and what you stand for, it never hurts you to elevate another person. And Jesus knew who he was. He was God. Jesus knew who he was. And so when you put that, what he says in John, over with Philippians 2, 6, that he himself is God. There's no problem for him to say, my father is greater than me. Just because I become a man. That didn't make me greater than my father. Some young men think because they become 21, become 30 years old, 
somehow they become greater than their fathers. No. There's nothing wrong with lifting up another person when you really understand and know who you are. But it starts here. When you have it in your mind, well, that person thinks they're better than I am. That person thinks that I should do this before them and bow down before them. I'm not bowing before them. I'm not doing You don't know who you are. You have to know who you are in Christ. And when you understand who you are in Christ, you have no problem as what he asked us to do in Philippians 2 to speak higher of someone else than we do of ourselves. And we're able to do that. We're able to do that. Let's close out with Corinthians 6. I'm going to start at 7. We're going to go pretty quick through this. Starting verse 7. He says, This very fact that you have lawsuits among you mean you have been completely defeated already. Because in the church you're suing one another. In the church because you're arguing with one another. Because of this whole he said you're already defeated. And in the church is where you learn how to live with another sister, another brother. Because see, in the church we're sinners. In the church, somebody's going to say something you don't like. In the church, somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. In the church, there's going to be somebody you can't stand. But in the church is where you grow also. In the church, you see God do something not only in your life, but in the life of someone else. You're able to see God begin to mellow mellow out somebody. Their words are not as sharp. They become a little bit more respectful towards people because they're growing and they're learning. As that whole thing about you love somebody, somebody's talking about love. What we don't understand about love, love is a growing thing. And you're just starting in Christianity, you got all kind of trouble because God commands for you to love. See, there, there was a day where it would have been hard for me to love Fred. I would watch TV and watch the dogs and watch Alabama, Arkansas, and Georgia. It would have been a hard thing for me in that day to love Fred. But guess what? As I accepted the Lord and began to see life differently, it's very easy to love Fred. It's very easy to love someone that's not like me. It's very easy to love someone who has maybe even hurt me or hurt my family because I understand their pain now. Understand their sinfulness. I understand their ignorance of it. And you have to sometimes, as that old saying, you have to walk in somebody else's shoes first. Because when you walk in their shoes, you have a greater understanding. And you have to sometimes put yourself over in their place and maybe see through their eyes and see what they're seeing. Well, you have to understand how maybe they've been raised, how they've been taught, how life has treated them. People are complicated individuals. There's a lot of people that come in here that's been hurt. There's a lot of people that come in here who have been sexually abused by somebody. There's somebody that's come in here who has been taken advantage of. And boy, guess what? The law in their life is, I won't be taken advantage no more. And all that has to be mellowed out by God. They've got to work through all that. And that's what love does. Love is patient. 
love is patient. Love is gentle. It works at that point. And that's why God commands us to love. Why? Some people don't know how to receive love. And God says, just love. Just love. And he goes on, he says, the very fact that you have losses among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? What? The Lord says, why not just be wrong? Rather than you doing the wrong, accept the wrong. That's a hard one. But that's the thing with Christianity. It asks us to do some difficult things that goes against our flesh. Lord, ain't nobody going to wrong me now. Especially when I haven't done nothing to them. And I don't deserve it, Lord. Nowhere in the passage does it say whether you deserve it or not. But what he's asking that you accept the wrong done to you rather than do what? Do wrong. That old saying is still true. Two wrongs don't make it what? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Lord, ain't cheating me, Lord. Nobody's cheating. I'm getting every penny. I'm getting everything I think I deserve. Nobody's cheating me. Instead, you yourself cheat and do wrong. Would you rather be wrong or would you want to be the one doing the wrong? Would you rather be cheated or would you rather be the one doing the cheating? And he goes on and he says, and do you, instead, verse 8, instead you yourself cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brother. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, where's God been? He's given you an answer. You're answerable to who? Me. You're answerable to me. Let vengeance be mine, not yours. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolater, nor adulterers, nor male prostitute, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you, what? Before you accepted the Lord, what kind of life did you lead? Did you live? What did you do? Some of you old enough that you were down on Howard Street. Some of you were old enough out in Copley after everything else been closed after 12 o'clock. You were out there in that little thing that had holes in the floor. You could fall. You could break your neck out there. Somebody could shoot you out there, and the police wouldn't come until daybreak. He says, you were like that, but you were washed. What's the difference now? You've been washed. Verse 11. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he's saying, what is the difference here now? It's not you. It's not you. What's the difference? The difference is the Jesus It's the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. That's the difference. That's the difference. You once were like him. You once were an adulterer. You once were a harlot. You once was an addict. You once was a drunkard. You once was a swindler. You once were this or that, a deceiver, a liar. This is what you once were. And the only thing different Christ living in you. What 
what the church did? It reinforced that. It reinforced that. It reinforced that. It reinforced that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. It reinforced by the church of Christ. Greater is he that liveth in me, and I live and move in him. That it's only by the grace of God that I'm different than the rest of this world. It's only by the grace of God that I have the sanity of mind. It's only by the grace of God that I've been with Elaine 57 years and not another woman. It's only by the grace of God, not by Gus Brown, by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God I'm not out there. Only by the grace of God that I understand that. I have not, you have not kept yourself. You are being kept. And you are obedient to God. God will never force you into the pigs. God will never corral you in. It has to be a surrendering of your will. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. To your will and to your way. Yes, Lord. Father, minister to us, Lord. We are your church, for better or worse. We are your church on different levels. Some of us are just babes in Christ. Some of us are growing and yet not maturing. And some of us, Lord, think we are mature, but there's still yet so much work to be done. We're on all these different levels. Lord, let us not have the conflict. May we have understanding one for another as we're growing in the grace of God. And may we sharpen one another. May we help each other become skillful. May we help each other to rise up. May we help each other to walk on higher ground. May we help each other to do their job as unto the Lord, not unto their boss, not unto their company. But as they work, Lord, they work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're your people. You have instructions for us. Give us a heart to want to know your instructions. Give us a heart that want to know your will. Give us a heart that want to know your way. And then, Lord, enable us to do it. Because you know everything in our flesh, everything in our mind cries against you. So bring us to that place, Lord, that we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Remind us of that system.